Well, Merry Christmas. If there was any doubt, uh, that we are fully in the Christmas season now. We're, we're fully there. We're all the way in. The Christmas sweater vest says so. The uh, 10 parties I went to last week, Christmas parties, it was like a, there was like two a day. I don't even know how that works, but I felt like I was at like two a day. It was awesome. We are in the Christmas season. We're here. It's rolling along. It's amazing. Uh, but before we get into the message this morning, I want to um, I want to tell you about an exciting season that we're in right here at, at Legacy City Church. Since our very first year is drawing to a close, we're establishing a new tradition of taking a year-end offering. And this is, now I want you to know this, that this is so much more than just another opportunity to give. It's, it's a, a time for us to gather our faith and expectation and, and to give a sacrificial offering so that we can see the vision and ministry of Legacy City Church expand. So this year on December 30th, uh, our one-year birthday, we're giving a heart for the house offering. Uh, we're going to take this offering up um, on, on the 30th, and we'll have some opportunities for you to do it. If you don't like have checks, like I don't think I have checks, uh, I just do everything online. We'll have some opportunities to do that as well, and, and some methods of giving that you could do uh, on that morning as well, if you so choose. But it's our one-year anniversary. We want to take up a Heart for the House offering. This is going to be a house built with hearts, and this is going to be a church for, for more people to meet God in the coming year. We're so excited about that and what that looks like, and I want each one of you to have the opportunity to be a part of this, okay? I want you to have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. Uh, I want you to have the opportunity not only to participate, but to accelerate the vision of Legacy City Church and all that God is doing here in the Greenwood area. There are many of you that have been blessed, I believe, to be a blessing, so many of us have been blessed to be a blessing. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you. I want you to pray about, about giving a one-time gift on December 30th, above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings, a one-time gift uh, that, that you're going to give. And, and it's, it's, I want you to know this. It's not about what we're at, it's not that we're asking you to give. It's not what we're asking you to give. It's, it's, it's what God is asking you to give. And as you pray about and decide in your heart what that looks like for you, what that looks like for you and your family, I'm really excited about what's got, what God's going to do through that. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about the fact that so many of you are going to sow into this ministry and what God is doing, sow into this house, and that God is going to use what you give directly or indirectly to, to just bring more people into eternal relationships with him. I'm so excited to see not only what God is going to do in us, but what God is going to do through us. And I'm so excited to see how God is going to use your generosity and your obedience to change people's lives and to bring him glory. So we're looking forward to that. We're really excited about that. That's what's coming up in just a few weeks. And just want to keep putting it in front of you and give you an opportunity to begin thinking about it and praying about it. Uh, let me pray one more time just over that before we move on. God, uh, we're so excited and expectant for what you're going to do as we look at this Heart for the House offering, which we believe that you've led us to, uh, to move in this direction, to, to prepare for this and to set the stage for this. But God, only you can do this. It's you who are going to call people. It's you who are going uh, to, to bring about uh, the, the, the offerings and the provision that, that, you've, um, that, you're, that you're seeking. And so, God, we just pray right now that no matter what is given, that it will go to bring glory to your name and it will go to see people come to know you, that we'll see salvation through this, and that this house will be built even stronger and even better to do more ministry in your name. And so we do lift up this Heart for the House offering. We lift up every person who will be praying over the next weeks about what you would have them to give to this Heart for the House offering. We love you. It's in Jesus' name.
Amen. So uh, we watched a movie a few days ago my family did. It's called The Star. Has anybody ever seen it? Some people. Okay, The Star. Uh, it came out last year. We saw it in theater last year, uh, but now it's on Netflix. And so now we can watch it at home on demand. It's great. Uh, and it, it's a really, really fun movie. I remember going to the movie theater last year when it came out thinking this is probably going to be pretty cheesy because I, I knew it was about the nativity and I, and I just felt like, okay, there's no way that something just really good and wholesome and, and as nice is going to come out of, of Hollywood. I mean, I love movies, don't get me wrong, but I, I, I just, they don't very often do justice to a story as important as the birth of Christ. And so I remember going into it, and I knew it was a cartoon, but it was actually really, really great. It was a fun movie. It's the story of the nativity. If you haven't seen it, that's told from the perspective of various animals. And so it's like the animals that were in and involved and around, I guess, uh, you know, took some liberties and, and some uh, some stretches there. But they they said, you know, there's a donkey and a pigeon and like some, a horse and some other things and some the camels that the wise men rode. Like they have all these animals. And so they're kind of seeing and viewing the nativity, the birth of Christ, from a, a little bit of a different perspective and angle. And so there's a phrase in the movie that my daughter Ainsley quoted uh, a few weeks ago while sharing the nativity story with us, uh, with my wife and I. We didn't realize this is where it came from. We didn't realize this came from the movie. Uh, but but she she was voicing Mary, and we have this like little play nativity set, and so she said she wanted to share with us, you know, how it all went down. And so she's moving the things al- around, and she's sharing, and sh- she she's doing the thing, and so she's voicing Mary, and Mary tells Joseph about the vision that she was gonna uh, have a baby, and that it would be called Jesus. And then she voiced Joseph, and she said she she's voicing Joseph, and and Joseph says, "Whoa, that's a lot to take in." And, and I, we, we thought it was really funny, and we laughed about it, and it was good. But then we're watching the movie this week, and, and it's in the movie. It's actually, so a whole year ago, she picked up this phrase, and then she, uh, you know, I guess thought it was really good and used it again during her, her little thing. Uh, we thought it was hilarious at the time, but it was so much funnier when we saw the movie. You know, this movie kind of got me thinking about Joseph, though. You know, in the movie, Joseph had a lot of dialogue, he talked a lot. We get to know a lot about his personality. Uh, we, we, but, but when we look at Joseph in the Bible, he doesn't actually have much to say. In fact, he doesn't speak a single word. Nothing is recorded throughout all of the Gospels. Now, he wasn't punished as a mute such as Zechariah for, for his, you know, kind of initial step back in disobedience whenever God said he was going to have John, whenever God said he and his wife were going to uh, have John the Baptist. Like Zechariah, we talked about that last week. He stepped back. He's like, wait a minute, we're too old. We can't do this. This isn't good. You know, and, and so he was punished and he was made mute. He couldn't speak until the birth of his son. Uh, and so th- it wasn't anything like that. I think Joshua was perfectly capable of speaking. I want you to hear me say this, church. Joshua's mouth was silent, but I believe his life was loud. He had a powerful sermon to preach through his life, and I think we have something to learn from him today. So we're going to take a look. We're going to take some time to really take a look at Joseph specifically this morning. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1, and I think the passages are going to be behind me on the screen as well. And we're going to read through our passage here this morning together, and then we'll go back and give you a couple of things to think about, a couple of points, and talk about it. Starting in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up from the sleep, uh, he did as the angel, Lord, the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That's our passage for this morning. We'll kind of go back and, and talk about it. But I want to explain something about Jewish marriages for just a second because it's very different from our marriage ceremonies and very different from the way that we do things today. And I think it's important to understand what's happening here. Jewish marriages took place in three stages. There was the contractual stage. That was the first one. There's the espousal stage, the second one. And then there is the actual consummation stage. So in the first stage, the contractual stage, the parents would actually choose for their kids who, were they, who, were gonna, who they were going to marry. Right? For their daughters specifically, wouldn't that take a lot of fear out of things, dads? If we just got to interview and choose the right guy. Maybe they would throw in a few goats and some acres of land while they're at it. It's good stuff. I'm just saying it's biblical, right? Okay, so this is what they did. The third stage is called consummation. <clears throat> There's a story of the birds and the bees. And if you don't know that story, ask your parents about it. So that we don't have to go into that. You guys know what's happening there. Most of us understand what happens on the stage. But the, back to the second stage. So that's the first stage and the third stage. Back to the second stage because this is where we're actually at in this point in the story, the espousal stage. Now, this will be somewhat similar, and I say somewhat because I'm, I'm going to give you the, the difference here. This will be somewhat similar to what we have as an engagement. So what happens when somebody gets engaged? What's the first question that you ask them? Let me see the ring, Right? We all want to see, everybody, all, I don't think I've ever been in the presence of two ladies, one who just got engaged and one who is just seeing them for the first time since the engagement, and the first question out of their mouth is almost always, oh, I got to see the ring. You got you to show me the ring. Let's see, let's take a look at that bling, right? We, it's, it's, it's a new, is, it, is it new? Is it a family heirloom? I want to know all about it. Is it. What's the cut? Is it princess cut? Like, is it, what is going on here? We want to see all the different things. And question number two how did it happen? Tell me the story. Even though we already have seen it on Facebook and Instagram and we know every intricate detail and we probably knew about it 12 weeks in advance because everybody already knows these days when somebody's about to get engaged and we already know what's going to go down and how it's going to happen. But we still want to know the story. We want to relive the moment with you. You see, in Jewish culture, in this stage, there was actually a contract that was signed and there was a dowry that is agreed upon. So when you're asked to see the ring, what are you really asking? Wow, let me see that dowry. That's really what you're asking. You want to see the dowry. But in this period of time, the dowry was more like, uh, like, like, let's say if you're really, really good looking, then you might get like eight chickens instead of an eight carat, eight carat, that'd be huge, uh, uh, a half carat diamond. So you might get a couple of chickens. Somebody would get engaged and you would say, you know, hey, let me see the chicken coop. How many did you get? Wow, that's pretty good. I like, I like what's going on in there. You know, a couple goats threw in. That's good. All right, so there's going to be this big party, and it's kind of like uh, a wedding when the contract was finished and the espousal began. It's kind, that's kind of like the wedding. So I'm saying it's a little backwards. So we think of it as the engagement. It is kind of like the engagement, but actually the ceremony happens at the beginning of this point. The contract is signed. The dowry is exchanged. All things are good, set in stone. We're good to go. Then there's a ceremony, and then the espousal period actually begins. 
right? Then we go into this espousal period. In fact, the Jewish marriage actually, actually consisted of two ceremonies. There's the espousal period, and then there's, another, there's, a, there's a, a ceremony that happens there. There's actually another ceremony that happens a little later. So they would enter into this espousal stage. The, the, this would be the betrothal. All right, the woman would be legally married at this point. She's actually legally married. She could not be promised to another man, but she would remain under her father's house for the next year. So this is legit and legal. How would you like to get married and then not be able to actually be with your husband or wife for a whole year? That would be a little weird, right? This is the way it was, this is the way it was done. This is the way it was practiced. And so uh, it gives the, gives the husband, it gives the, the, the new husband time to go and to build his house and to get his stuff ready and get his stuff in order. It gives them time to get to know each other because, again, this is an arranged marriage. This is a, uh, they, they may not have known each other before they came together, before the parents got them together. And so it's an arranged marriage. So they're spending this entire next year kind of getting to know each other. This is really like the dating period, the engagement period, all sort of wrapped into one, except they're already legally married. So they get to know each other. They learn to love one another during this stage. Now, it's interesting because when you look at the scriptures, you really don't see anyone falling in love prior to getting married. Right? It's, it's very contrary to what we would know in our culture as engagement. And that's because they believe that you choose to love someone. It's a choice, not a feeling. You choose to love because you could fall for anyone. But you have to choose to love, love someone specific. This is important because of the decision that Joseph, Joseph makes in the coming passage. Okay, he understood love as a choice. He didn't understand love as an emotion. He understood it as a conviction. And so we find Joseph and Mary in the scriptures, and they are in their second stage of marriage. They are engaged in fact, they are technically married, but they're not allowed to actually consummate the marriage yet. That's what the second ceremony, I said there's two ceremonies, three steps, and then on the third step, there's a second ceremony, and that's what that is, which is the transferring of the woman from the father's house to the husband's house, and then they would be finally allowed to consummate the marriage at that point. And so we find ourselves right here. They're married, but they haven't consummated the marriage yet, and then Mary sits Joseph down and tells him the news. Joseph, I know we haven't consummated yet, but I'm pregnant. Wow, that's a lot to take in. She follows it up. It's not anybody else's. Well, that was my first thought. Naturally, that's the first thing that would come into my head. All right, so, so think about this. Just put yourself into Joseph's mindset for a second. Put yourself into this situation. What comes flying out of the mouth of Joseph in this moment? Scripture doesn't tell us. Does he throw something? Does he get mad? Does he yell? Does he start asking questions about the mailman? Like, does he believe that that babies really come from like a really long hug? I mean, is he like really beginning to like question everything in his, in his entire life? Maybe his parents didn't tell him about the birds and bees. I don't know. What emotions is he feeling? Put yourself in that position. What emotion is he, all the things that could be going through his head. He's betrothed. He, he's, been, he's been waiting for a year to be with her. They're married, but, but she's already pregnant. How did this happen? He's, he's got all these, is he, is he hurt? Is he, is he feeling betrayed? Is he feeling confused and angry? This is the season that's supposed to be one of the happiest times of his life. He's supposed to be in marital bliss, 
but instead he finds himself in a place of hurt. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody this morning. I wonder if this can be relatable a little bit here this morning. I wonder if we can relate to Joseph in the season that we're in right now. Maybe you can relate to him the season that you're in in your life right now. A Christmas when everyone around us is so happy, yet all we can think about is the loss of a loved one or how dysfunctional our family is or the lack of stability in our lives or the fact that, that many of us, we just, we're just lonely. Everybody's having fun during Christmas time and I'm just lonely. I've had some good friends lose a loved one this week. I've had a good friend lose a job this week. I've had friends hurt by family members this week. When you think about all of that, it can be a little overwhelming. I think for many of us in the season, we, some of us could even enter into a, a state of mild depression. The title of the message this morning is called Choose Joy. Choose Joy. Does everyone understand here that there's a difference between happiness and joy? Like we don't sing happiness to the world, the Lord has come. We don't sing it like that, right? We sing joy, joy to the world. You got to understand that happiness is circumstantial. We're happy when it doesn't rain on the days where we wear new shoes. Like that makes me happy. We're happy whenever our favorite cereal at Publix is buy one, get one free. It's good times. Happiness is snuggling up on the couch and binge watching Netflix for three uninterrupted glorious hours. Happiness is when the kids go to bed without a fight and we can break out the Christmas tree cakes that we've been hiding from them on the top shelf of the pantry. Don't judge me. This is just, this is me. This is when I'm at my happiest. These, these might seem specific, but they're not. Joy, on the other hand, is a manifestation of Jesus Christ in our lives. Okay, joy comes only through the presence of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So, so in all things, when we have pain, when we have hurts, when we have sorrow, we can still find joy in our circumstances because he has promised to be with us. Isn't that good news? So listen, it's Christmas season. Don't be defeated or discouraged by those things in your life that, that, that you probably can't control anyways. All right, I want you to fight, to, to choose in the midst of all of these things, in these circumstances, I want you to choose joy over whatever else the world's throwing at you. Choose joy because the presence of God is with you. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell them to choose joy. We need to hear that, church. We need to understand that. We need to embrace that. We need to live that out. We need to choose joy now in this Christmas season and, and throughout the year. Now, maybe you're in this position where you're, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling let down, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling pain, you're feeling sorrow. Maybe that's you. And I want you to know that you're not alone. There are others going through just the same kind of feelings, the same kind of things that you're going through. They're going along, they're going through it alongside you. And so I don't want you to feel alone, but I want you to choose joy. I want to go back to the very first Christmas 
back at the very first Christmas, this is exactly what Joseph was feeling and experiencing. Uh, he was going through all these crazy emotions of, of hurt and anger and not knowing what to say and do. And he, had, he probably had this feeling of even the sense of vengeance toward Mary. You have to understand, in this culture, it would have been expected that he would publicly embarrass or disgrace Mary. Expected. It was his right to do that according to the law. He would have been justified to do that. He, would have, he could have even had her stoned to death if he chose to because that was the law. For infidelity, for adultery, she could have been stoned to death. But somehow in verse 19... It says that Joseph decided not to expose her to public disgrace. It says this, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, other versions might say a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. He didn't choose to be right. He didn't choose to exercise his right. Instead, he chose to pursue righteousness in God. Here's a point for you. You can write this down. We choose to be right or we choose to be righteous. We choose to be right or we choose to be righteous. And all the married people in the room say, <laughs> somebody said that extra loud. I think sometimes uh, we, we have a little leg up on the aspect of choosing to be right in a situation. Uh, there are times in a marriage where you choose to be right or you choose to keep the peace. You choose to be right, or, or you choose to sleep in your comfy bed, right? That's just kind of the way things work, and, and you have to understand that, and you'll kind of catch on to that as time goes. The Westminster Catechism is a document written in the 1600s to, to bring unity to churches in England and Scotland. And it says that, that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We, we believe that in principle, right? Right, we, we believe that, we agree with that in theory. That sounds good, but in practice, it's a whole other story, right? Like when your boss comes down on you, or, or a coworker says something out of line, what do you choose to do in that moment? Is it your aim to glorify God, or is it your aim to, to kind of exact a little bit of vengeance in that moment? When a family member in the Christmas season says something that is hurtful or digs up old memories, in that moment right there, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about how you're right and, you're, and, and how you're going to react? Or are you thinking about the righteousness and pursuing the righteousness of God in that situation? Because there's a huge difference between those two paths. Rightness is justifying yourself to the people around you, but righteousness is Jesus justifying ourselves to God. Rightness is us justifying to all of our friends, our family members, our coworkers, the people who saw the situation. That's rightness. But righteousness is Jesus justifying us to God. And Joseph chose not to be right. He didn't choose righteous, rightness for himself, even though the culture would have validated that. Instead, he chose to pursue righteousness of God, and it took him on a totally different path. In verse 20, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The scriptures uh, tell us, give us an indication, an implication that Joseph was a man of the law. But here's the deal. The law would have told him to divorce her. But he didn't do that because he didn't just follow the letter of the law. He followed the spirit of the law. You see, I, I told you they were legally married during that betrothal period, during that, that, that second 
phase of marriage. They were legally married, so to get out of that, they, had, they would have had to get divorced. But Joseph didn't just follow the letter of the law, he followed the spirit of the law. So the spirit showed up and gave him a dream. And when he saw, when he heard, when he received this dream, it sent him down a very different path. Now, understand this, he still had a hard decision. Because even though this internal struggle, he had made this decision that he didn't want to embarrass Mary, that he didn't want to hurt her, that he didn't want to, you know, uh, exact any revenge on her, even though he had made that decision, he still had an externally hard decision. Because think about what would happen when he made this decision. He would be embarrassed. Nobody's going to believe that something hadn't happened. Nobody's going to believe that this was the Son of God a divine birth, nobody's going to believe that. He would be embarrassed. He would be shamed. He would be disgraced. People would make fun of him. He would lose his reputation. How often do we make decisions based on the fear of man or the approval of others? How often is that the kicker, the deciding factor? We weigh everything else out. We, we put it all, we get the jelly beans and we make piles and we weigh everything out and we decide what's the right thing to do and we kind of set it all in motion. But then, but then we throw in a little kicker. What will people think? What will people say? How will people react? Would this person approve? My gut tells me that there are people in this theater this morning that makes so many decisions based on the people around you. We don't speak up because we're afraid of what people will think. We decide to do things that we know is wrong because we want to fit in. But you know what? Watch, watch this church. Joseph decided that he wasn't going to seek the approval of men. He decided against it. I'm not going to seek the approval of men. He was going to instead seek and pursue the dream that God had given him. Let me ask you this, people of God. Are you managing expectations in life or are you pursuing a God-given dream? Are you just managing the expectations of life or are you actually pursuing the God-given dream? Because that's the second point. You can choose to manage expectations or you can pursue God-given dreams. Are you simply trying not to mess things up? Just hold it all together? Or are you going after what God has called you to do? Are you seeking his dream and pursuing his righteousness? I heard someone say once, uh, in the short term, we tend to regret our actions. In the long term, we tend to regret our inaction. Right? Like in theological terms, th th that, that would look like this. We have sins of commission, uh, th those actions and regrets uh, that, that catch us in the short term. But in the long term, we have sins of omission. Those things that we didn't do that will haunt us for the rest of our lives. Why didn't I talk to that person? Why didn't I share with that person? Why didn't I give this thing when I could have given this thing? Why didn't I help this person when it was an opportunity to do so? Sins of omission. So think about Joseph here. If he would have decided to be, what's, to, to, to be right and claim his right, think about how he would have been haunted for the rest of his life, knowing that the Son of God was at his fingertips, knowing the influence and the relationship that he would have had with the Son of God he would have lost if he had gone through with this. But instead he doesn't play to that note. He plays a different song. He goes after the Lord. He goes after the dream that God had put in his head and on his heart. He goes after the spirit of God. And come on, somebody, aren't we glad that he did? We're coming up on, on uh, one year with Legacy City, so I've been reminiscing a lot over the past few weeks, uh, thinking back to how God orchestrated this whole thing, thinking back to the first Sunday in the theater, 
and then thinking back to the first Sunday in the Evans living room, and then thinking back to the first uh, Sunday in our very own loft at our house. But this reminiscing took me back even further to a time when I realized that I was controlled by something other than God. For such a, a long season, most of which I didn't even realize was happening. I didn't even realize this is what I was living in. I didn't realize this is what I was doing, but I was controlled by fear. A fear of others, a fear of authority, a fear of God, really, a fear of what people would think. And I I played to this idea that I was constantly trying to please other people. I never wanted to let anyone down. Do you know what that does? It puts you in a place of fear where you're never willing to risk anything. You're never willing to pursue anything when you live in that place. It's a bad place to live. You see, I think I I lived a life that was technically right, but it wasn't practically righteous. So I would live in a place of retreat instead of a place of pursuit. And when God got a hold of me, when he lifted the veil of fear, this is what happened. He gave me freedom. He gave me freedom from my fear, freedom from my failure, freedom from my expectations, freedom from trying not to do uh, things wrong. All of a sudden, I was set free to go after God, to go after the dream, to go after a calling, to pursue God and who he is and who he has called me to be. There's a freedom that comes from all of these things. God has not called us to be somebody else. He called us to be a righteous individual before him. That is our great calling. Number three, we can choose to live in retreat or live in pursuit. That's the third choice that we can make. We can live in retreat or we can live in pursuit. So now when you go into Christmas this year and you come across that individual, that that family member, that one that really just grinds your gears, the one that drives you nuts, how you deal with them? Is it your goal not to do something? This year, I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to get upset and I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to blow up at them. Not this time. Is that your goal? To just not do something? To not get mad? To not respond? That's living in retreat. Why don't you live in pursuit? Let's change this year. What if you begin to circle that person in prayer right now? What if we begin to circle that person in prayer right now? When I pray for somebody, God usually speaks to me about that person. When I pray for somebody, God usually challenges me to do something for them or to understand them better or to seek them out and understand where they're coming from or to ask certain questions in a different way or to give a higher level of grace to them. But my relationship, my outlook, my perspective on them and how I treat them totally changes. It's the total difference between living in retreat and living in pursuit. So God gave Joseph a dream. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, uh, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now here's the thing. Anytime God gives you a dream, it will cost you something. It's going to cost you something. For Joseph, it cost him a lot. We already talked about his reputation that that he he probably lost. But it's more than that. It cost him. All right, he was a successful carpenter. 
actually a master builder, if you will, like a general contractor. He was a head honcho. He was a big guy. He had a successful business. When the king find out, found out about Jesus, he began to try to fix the problem by killing children. So Joseph had to flee to a foreign land. He had to flee all the way to Egypt. So he left, left everything. He lost his reputation. He lost his home. He lost his work. He lost everything in his life. Gave it all up willingly, obediently. Chose joy over rightness. So he lost everything. And when we think about obedience, we think about God's dream as something that will give us a life of comfort and coziness and ease. That's how we like to lean into God's dream. It's just going to be a beautiful thing, rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> but honestly, it's the opposite. When we pursue God's dream, we are often called to sacrifice. And in the story, in this passage, and what we're reading, when the tough got going, Joseph got sacrificial. We look at the disciples, and every one of them had a story. Peter and John left their nets and their identity. Matthew left his means, his income. Every one of them had to leave something behind to pursue Christ, to pursue the dream of being with Christ. Church, you can't get a breakthrough by doing the same old thing. A breakthrough comes by leaving, by letting go of everything in your life and completely going after God. Verse 24 says that Joseph did exactly what the angel commanded. He did exactly what God had commanded him to do. In verse 24, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. The obedience is usually harder than the dream, right? If obedience was a place, it would be kind of like a theme park. I want you to give me some grace on this example. It would be kind of like a theme park. It seems like a great idea right now. Like, let's go to Disney or SeaWorld or Carowinds. Sounds like a great idea. And, and when you're sitting right here, obedience to a dream sounds like a great idea. But then you go there with your kids in the middle of summer. And it's like, wow, why did we decide to do this? You, you have to wait in line with 72,000 other people for over an hour to ride a ride that lasts two minutes while your three kids are screaming and crying and sweating and it's 100 degrees outside. And you think in the moment, this is terrible. I never want to do this again. But then the further away you get from it, you come back, you look at the pictures, you remember the good stuff, the bad starts to fade away a little bit and you're thinking, yeah, that's all right. Let's go back. We can do that again. In fact, this time, let's go to Universal so we can hit up Harry Potter World. That sounds awesome. It's the same with obedience. All right, it's the same with obedience. We're sitting here, and obedience sounds like a great idea. But when you get into it, it hurts. When you actually step into it, it hurts. It's painful. There's sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. But then after you go through that experience, you get beyond it. You move on. You come out the other side. Have you had an experience in your life where you have obeyed the Lord and you've gotten beyond that? And, you, and, and aren't, if, you, if you've had that experience where you've, you've just stepped into obedience, you've obeyed God, and, and you're on the other side now, and you can look back with, with clear eyes, with 20-20 vision, and you can see, and you can... 
Aren't you so appreciative of the decision you made and what God did in the midst of your obedience? You have to not just hear and see and receive a dream, but when the rubber meets the road, you have to come into this place of obedience. So here's the key in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. At the end of the day, Joseph took a big step of obedience. He took a big step of faith, but he does so knowing that the presence of God will be with him. Emmanuel, God with us. And this is where the joy of the Lord starts right here. This is where it begins. When we know that it's not based on our circumstances, it's not based on what's going on around us, it's not even based on, on our personalities, on our flaws, on our missteps, on our errors, it's not based on any of that. It's based on the presence of God. The promise of Jesus who will bring salvation into our lives and, and his presence in our families and in our hearts and in our minds and in our personal lives. Church, joy is not based on our circumstances. Joy is based only on the presence of God. That's it. When I say choose joy, I know that sounds like a cop-out. Choose joy, but you don't know what I'm going through. I hear you say choose joy, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know the pain. You don't know the suffering. You don't know the agony. You don't know what I wake up to every day. You don't know what I go to sleep with every day. I'm not talking about a person, just thoughts. Could be a person. Hope not. You don't know. Choose joy sounds great. It's not realistic for me. But we can choose joy because God is with us. No matter what, take all of that other stuff away because God is still with you. And it's because of that that we can choose joy. It's based on the presence of God alone. Whatever you are going through, his presence is promised to you, and that's all we have. That is all we can count on. That is what will get us through the moments when we feel like we can't get through them. So we rejoice, and we find joy in God who comes into our hearts and resides within us and brings his joy within us. In essence, we choose joy. God, we worship you today. God, we praise you this morning. Lord, in the midst of all that is going on, we give you thanks for a story that can encourage us this morning. Joseph, who went through so much, we don't often talk about him, we don't often look at his life, but he went through so much. He had hard decisions to make, but he stood up as a man of courage. So Lord, I pray today that boys will turn into men because they understand that their life is not about their own. It's not their own, but it's the life that is about the kingdom of God. And when we make decisions of obedience, Lord, the joy that only you can provide comes. We recognize that sometimes it comes immediately, sometimes it comes later. Sometimes our step of obedience results in the joy of the Lord and other people around us. And that's exactly what we see in, Jesus's, in Joseph's decision and, and, and Jesus' entrance into the world. So, Father, I pray right now. For those of us who are here, who need to be set free from fear and failure. I pray that you would set us free right now, God. 
In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would set us free from fear and failure. I pray that you would set us free right now, Lord, in your presence. Lord, I pray for those of us who are living in hurt today, living in pain. I pray, God, that we would not indulge in that temptation to, to exact vengeance or to, or to crash and crumble, but that we would choose joy in the midst of all that is going on. I pray for those of us who are just reacting to life and problems that are around us, the, the rough patches that, that, that we're going through. I pray that we would not just react, that they would we would not live in a state where we seek to be right, but instead that we would pursue righteousness and a dream that is given from you, God. I pray for those who look at our situations, look at, look at our, our dreams, and it just doesn't make sense. I pray that they would find courage today to pursue you with their whole hearts. Right now, I pray, God, that you would drop a blanket a cloud of joy, Emmanuel over us, God with us, the presence of the Lord with us. We pray these things in the most powerful and amazing name of Jesus Christ. Amen.